Our Bible reading today is found in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 29 to 41. And Peter is still speaking and addressing the crowd. Acts 2, 29 to 41. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not descend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to them, said to Peter, and said to Peter, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Thank you, Glenda. Um, it's wonderful to see all the pews filling up. Who would have thought? Uh, so we've got expansion plans, which is really exciting. We're going to knock those two walls down so that you know we're going to square off this room. Just if you're wondering, you know, how we're going to grow into this space, that's the first stage. Uh, I just want to let you know that because people have been asking me, what are we going to do? And I love that mindset. It's a wonderful mindset of expansion and growth. So that's where we're heading, uh, just to let you know a bit randomly. Anyway, I'm going to pray, and we're going to have a look at this very remarkable and important passage uh, in the Bible. Father God, uh, as we open this, uh, this first Christian sermon outside of the Lord himself, uh, we pray that you speak to us, uh, Father. We pray that you open our eyes and ears. Holy Spirit, we pray that you convict us of truth and that you encourage us and that you give us a space to be able to reflect and uh, be moved by uh, this moment in history, Lord, a very mo important moment in history. So, Father, as we open your word now, help us to come to it with full assurance that it is your word and that you have something powerful to say to us. And we say this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, throughout history, there have been some very important speeches. Uh, both men and women have stood up in front of crowds of people 
and uh, and they have declared uh, all sorts of truths. Winston Churchill was uh, a wonderful orator that really moved the nation uh, to uh, win a war effectively. But I think Martin Luther King Jr. defined a struggle in the U.S., uh, which gave courage to men and women who had been oppressed just because of their skin colour. And in history, we have those wonderful words, I have a dream. Uh, not many people would go through this life without hearing something about that speech. You see, speeches are defining moments. Speeches are pivotal moments. Speeches give us an insight into the message, into the meaning, and into the purpose of a struggle. Today, we are looking at the Apostle Peter's speech following the events of Pentecost. This is the first ever Christian ser sermon outside of Christ himself. Jesus has ascended, and he said, Wait until I get, send you the Holy Spirit that the Father promised. And we saw last week the Holy Spirit descended on 120 believers. And there was great, uh, great uh, signs and wonders that accompanied that. People were speaking in other languages that they didn't know. And as people had come from all nations of the known world to celebrate the, the Feast of uh, Harvest, the Feast of Weeks, uh, called Pentecost in the Old Testament, uh, they were hearing these people speak in their own language. And we're told they were speaking the wonders of God. And then right at the end of that, there is those two verses, amazed and perplexed in verse uh, 12. They asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. But then in verse 14, at the beginning of this passage, we are told Peter stands up with the other 11 apostles. He raises his voice and he says this. Sorry, I wore my wrong glasses. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice, addressed the crowd, and he said, Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. See, notice all people, all people. Now, we, 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 we are standing in a, in a moment of history here, and we know there was at least 3,000 people, if not more. And he goes on and he says to them, uh, all people. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. So here we have 3,000 people. And uh, he quotes the apostle, the, the prophet Joel, to say that the, these are the signs of the last days when all people, now he's referring to all people who are God's people, will receive uh, the Holy Spirit. It's a pivotal piece of Old Testament history. And this first point that Peter's making is we have now entered the last days. This is the fulfillment of the prophet Joel. This is the last days. 
Previously, only certain people received the Holy Spirit of God. They were the anointed ones to fulfill the mission of the Israelites, to lead the Israelites, prophet, priests, and kings. They were the ones anointed with the Holy Spirit. Now, as we've seen at Pentecost, all believers have received the Holy Spirit. And look at the broad groups of people that he mentions in verses 17 and 18. I will pour pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Now, he's not saying every single person will have the gift of prophecy, but he's saying gender is no barrier. Whether you're a servant or a slave or a master is no barrier. What your status in life is no barrier. You will receive the Holy Spirit when the Lord Jesus, uh, when the Lord Jesus pours out the Holy Spirit upon you. And people will exercise spiritual gifts no matter what their demographic. So the evidence of this will be spiritual acts, he says, performed by the Spirit. The emphasis is the Holy Spirit here has been poured out on all of God's people. The last days have arrived. And then in verses 19 and 20, he shows there will be signs in God's creation, not just in God's people as well. And now he talks about the earth will become blood and uh, and fire and billows of smoke. There'll be signs. When Jesus died on the cross, the earth was darkened for three hours. You see, we are now in the last days, Peter is saying. This is the day we need to be urgent. The Messiah has come. It is the now, not yet. He has come. He has saved his people from his sins. His spirit is poured out, and now we await his return. And our role, as we've said uh, every week so far is to build the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit will do that through us. But the significance is the way that has been paved for everyone to be saved and to receive the Holy Spirit. See, verse 21, he says, And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. There is no barrier. Paul talks about it in Ephesians. The wall of hostility has been broken. Hostility between Jew and Gentile. Hostility between Jew and God, Gentile and God. You see, all people, no matter your ethnicity, your background, no matter what you've done, no matter where you come from, no matter what your status, no matter what your job is, no matter what your abilities are, not matter what your cognitive impairment or disimpairment or your cognitive abilities are it does not matter everyone everyone who calls on the name of the lord will be saved and this is simply because the lord jesus has done what israel could not do and that is become the true israelite and die on the cross fulfilling perfectly the law of god so that those who put their faith in him Will be saved. See, in many respects, uh, this is the, the crowning reality of this speech. 
But then he moves into the second point. Not only are we in the last days, but secondly, the Holy Spirit has been poured out on all believers to witness a message. And this message is that Jesus is both Lord and Messiah, the promised Saviour. See, verses 22 to 24, Peter says this, Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. See, we can call on the name of the Lord because there is the gospel, there's the good news. This was always God's plan. God's plan was that his one and only son would have to take on the sin of the world. See, in many ways, this little section is the bridge between the first section and the section we now move into. Now, when I was working in the financial markets, which was uh, about 16, 17 years ago, uh, I hosted a couple of men from Bougainville. Now, Bougainville is a country which is, uh, well, there's a big fight over it, but it's near Papua New Guinea. And what they were doing is they were establishing a microfinance corporation where people could come to them, because I worked for the cooperative, the credit unions, and they came over to learn from us what they could do. And so that it would basically be a pool of money, 12 or 14 families or so were, would put their money together and then they would take turns lending it out so that they could buy something in order to build a business. So you might buy a cow so that you can sell milk. You might buy chickens so that you can sell eggs. You might buy all sorts of things. And so they came to Australia and I had the privilege of hosting these two guys. Now I was living over in the eastern suburbs at that time in, uh, in, in Coogee, uh, but neither of these men had ever been outside of their tribal villages, ever. It was quite a remarkable thing. And one of them told me that uh, they had a postcard of Sydney sitting next to their bed almost their whole life. And now here I was hosting this man. This is his dream. This is where they wanted to be. So I took them into the city and I said, all right, what do you want to eat? And they said, we've always wanted to eat Hungry Jacks. <laughs> so I took them to Hungry Jacks. Uh, fair enough. I took them and I showed them all the history of Sydney, etc. Then I took them to the Opera House. And if you've been to the Opera Bar, uh, you can have a drink looking over the harbour. It's a beautiful spot. Uh, we used to go every Friday for, uh, at the end of the, uh, the week. So I took him there and it fulfilled a dream because he said, this is the shop that's been sitting next to me my whole life. And so there he was sitting and looking over uh, this wonderful harbour. But then they said, we do want to go over the harbour bridge. I said, okay, that's fine. And so I got them in the car, but I thought I'd play a bit of a prank on them. Um, sounds a bit cruel now that I say it out loud. But I think they got it in the end. Um, I, I went driving towards a harbour bridge, but I did not take the bridge. I took the tunnel. 
they didn't know the tunnel existed. I think it was quite new back then, but I, I, I remember going down, we got dark, you know, it's, well, it's the tunnel, um, and, and they just thought I was taking them to the bridge. And then we come up on the other side and we looked back and it just, you could see in their expressions, it was like some magic had happened. They were here and now they're on the other side of the water and they don't know because they didn't go over the bridge. How on earth? And I said, oh, you know, we've got some special things happening in Sydney and da-da-da-da-da. But eventually I explained to them there's a tunnel going under the water. You see, they were expecting to go over the bridge. They had the visual in their mind. They knew exactly from postcards and from sitting at that bar what they would see when they were on that bridge. But then they got to the other side and it was completely different. That is not what they expected. They were confused. See, the Israelites were expecting one way of salvation. The Israelites were expecting a Messiah to look and act exactly how they thought that he would look and act. And he hasn't done that. And in fact, they've crucified him on a tree, which is a curse under the Old Testament law. See, they understood that he would come as a military messiah and conquer the nations and drive the nation of Israel to, to victory and, and to, uh, to, to take control of the land and, and, and all that um, was theirs. But it never happened that way. They were like these men from Bougainville. He had come and they didn't understand what they were looking at now. There's signs, there's wonders. And Peter is explaining to them, no, we're not drunk. These are the last days, but it's a fulfillment of prophecy. It's a fulfillment of prophecy. See, in verse 22, he said that Jesus was accredited to you by God. In other words, through his miracles, you should have recognized that this was the Messiah. Verse 23, it was always God's plan. You should have seen this through the Old Testament. Then in verses 24 to 32, Peter says, not only do the miracles accredit him to you, but the resurrection is the proof that he is the promised Messiah. See, the promised Savior had come into the world. You should have recognized him. This is the hope of Israel. So if you think back to the first sermon, if you weren't here back in Acts 1, I told you there was a bookends going on. There's a mention of the kingdom of God. Are you going to restore the kingdom at this time to Israel? It's not for you to know the times and places, but for the Father. And then on the flip side, right at the end, if you remember, as Peter's in prison or in house arrest in Rome, he talks about it is the hope of Israel. He talks to the Jewish leaders. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am in chains. See, what Peter's explaining is Jesus is the hope of Israel. Your hope was in a Messiah, in the Lord to come. And here he is. And in verse 25, Peter quotes Psalm 16, 8 to 11 to show that even King David gives accreditation to Jesus. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. See, Peter in verse 29 then says, you can go and see David's tomb if you like. His bones will be there. 
So who was he talking about? Well, Peter says, your great King David, the one that you, uh, you, you, you revere, well, he even foresaw that the Messiah, Jesus, would be raised from the dead because the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, the ascension, Jesus now at the right hand of God. See, Luke has already shown us that Jesus is the Lord in his first gospel, the signs and the wonders. But then he goes on and he, he, he finishes uh, with this, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. Therefore, the Old Testament prophets he's quoted have pointed to this moment, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, which he's responding to that everyone's confused about. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So he's saying something very profound here. Not only is he the promised saviour, the promised king of Israel to come, but he's the Lord. And right through Acts, we see this reference to Lord. And it is the word that is referencing back to Yahweh in the Old Testament, the name of God. See, Peter is saying not only is Jesus this promised Messiah, but he is God. He is the Lord. Yes, the one that you will not say the name of, which Israelites won't, in the Old Testament. Yahweh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit the God of the Old Testament, the one triune God. Here he is in the flesh, God the Son. Jesus is both Lord and Messiah. Peter finishes his speech in verse 36. Sorry, he finishes, uh, he finishes uh, by, we're told by Luke that when all the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the other apostles' brothers, what shall we do? Just notice the, the, the confusion there. What are they cut to the heart about if the Messiah has come? Why aren't they rejoicing? Because they've crucified him. But they've missed the point that it was always in God's foreknowledge, which Peter has just said. They're actually cut to the heart. But the cutting of the heart is very important. If you were to come to Jesus and recognize the impact of your sin upon uh, the cost that he took upon himself, then yes, there's a cut to the heart. Because ultimately, if your heart is not cut, it's not circumcised, then you cannot know the fullness of what Jesus has achieved for you. And that's why he responds, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. See, repent means turn around. Instead of moving away from the Lord, move towards the Lord. So you've been cut to the heart. The Holy Spirit has done the role in you. You move back to God. You repent. 
you lay everything before him. You give up your idols. You give up all that you have been worshipping. And you worship the one true God, the true Lord, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But don't forget, we're a Baptist church. Don't just repent, be baptised. See, baptism is an outward sign of an inner reality. It is the public declaration that you have changed, that you acknowledge that your life is not your own anymore, that you have grasped the promises of the Lord, that you have put your faith in Jesus and that you go down, as Paul says in Romans 6, you go down into the water to cleanse, to be buried with the death of Jesus and you are raised to life. It's symbolic of your new life in Christ. You have turned around. You are now living a new life and baptism is an outward reflection of you burying the old life and living that new life have you been baptized as a believer i am a baptist pastor not primarily actually for this doctrine but primarily for a number of doctrines but this is very crucial i believe i've been baptized four times in my life first one as a child that i didn't know anything about found out later the second one as a mormon i was baptized as a mormon i joined the cult of mormonism the third one i was sprinkled when i believe i became a christian in the reformed church and then i wanted to be a baptist pastor and they said well you're going to have to be fully immersed for that and so my first day, basically, is actually it was seven days before I started at Kununurra as a pastor, one of the elders baptised me. And then I went and took on the role as pastor. Now, why would I go through that? Because I am a firm believer that that is the model that is here. You can talk it away in your covenantal theology all you like and say, well, it's like circumcision, etc., etc. I don't, I don't subscribe to it. And I encourage everyone to be baptised. Now speak, speak to Sue Arma. Sue was baptised last year. And what a great encouragement. Oh, and Joe as well. What a great encouragement. Sorry. Sorry, Joe. <laughs> Your wife's a bit more memorable. <laughs> no. Joe. Uh, that's all right. When, when I disappear in this hole, just fill it with water and that'll be number five. And it might be the last one by the sounds of it. But seriously, there's something profoundly significant about a public declaration as a believer of being baptised. And I encourage you, if you have not done that, to come and see me. But remember, there's 120 believers at this point. The Holy Spirit has come upon all of them. Peter says here, the promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, everyone. And what is that promise? Well, you will receive forgiveness of your sins and the Holy Spirit. There's no second baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
you will receive the Holy Spirit. It's as plain as day there. But remarkably, from 120, we go to over 3,000 conversions. So the church moves into a, a space. Now, I'd love to be there when all those baptisms were happening. It would be chaos. People often say to me, oh, you remember when you baptised me? And, and to be honest, I've baptised quite a number of people all around Australia. It's such a privilege. But I was trying to think this morning, who have I baptised? But that's not what matters. What matters is the fact that you are baptised in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And you have the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is the equipping, as we saw last week, to go out and share what message or the message that Peter has given us here that this one who was crucified but was raised again to life is both Lord and Messiah. There is no other way for the forgiveness of your sins. There is no other way for salvation. There is no other way. All roads don't lead to God. I'm sorry. It's not a popular message. We like to explain it away. But imagine if America on their dollar bills put in Jesus we trust. Well, that wouldn't be acceptable because God can be whoever you want him to be. Jesus is who he declares himself to be. And there is a profound difference. And Peter is saying he is Lord and Christ because he has declared that himself. And we have been shown the signs, the wonders, the resurrection. And in your own life, I hope and I trust that you've also experienced that profound change where you can find peace that transcends all understanding, even in the hardest times of life. When you find the joy, when you find the, 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 the wonder, when life suddenly has purpose because you have a purpose that you're given here to be the ambassadors of Christ, to be the ones yielding the Holy Spirit so he can use you to build the kingdom of God. Well, my prayer is that through our witness, through our church, whether it's one or whether it's 3,000, God will continue to use us that people give their life to the Lord. Let me encourage you today, perhaps you have never done that. Perhaps this is your day. Perhaps you've never heard that Jesus is the way for forgiveness of your sin. Perhaps you've never heard that he is the Lord. Perhaps you've never heard that he was promised from the Old Testament. Perhaps you've never heard that, well, not all roads lead to God. Only God declares the path to him and that is through his son. Well, if you're there here today and you want to give your life to the Lord, well, it's a simple act of handing it over, asking forgiveness of your sin and committing your life to follow him. I didn't plan on praying a prayer for that this morning, but I do keep one in the back of my Bible so that I can always pray with someone. And so I think this morning our prayer to finish is going to be that prayer. And let me just read it to you and I'll pause and maybe you need to recommit your life in this space this morning. But I sense there may be someone here who needs the prayer. And if this is something you pray, please come and see me afterwards. 
But this is how it's going to be. Dear God, thank you that Jesus died on the cross for me. And you raised him to life again so that I can be forgiven of my sin. I admit I have wronged you and need your forgiveness. Please forgive me. I commit to following Jesus as the Saviour and Lord the rest of my life. Amen. Simple prayer. I hadn't prayed it yet. I was just reading it out to you. So I'm going to pray it to you now, and I'll pause. And if you have never prayed that prayer, just pray it in your heart, and then come and see me afterwards. So let's pray. Dear God, thank you that Jesus died on the cross for me. Thank you you raised him to life again. I admit I have wronged you and need your forgiveness. Please forgive me. I commit to following Jesus as Saviour and Lord for the rest of my life. Amen. Well, please see me if you have prayed that for the first time, or perhaps you want to be baptised. Uh, please come and see me after.